uh, get super sweaty. Am I on? Is this? Oh, I've been on the whole time. That's, I guess you guys heard me singing beautifully. I think I broke it. How about we just stick it in the pocket right here? All right. Is that going to hinder the... Of course it's not. All right. Uh, I'll I'll say this. Um, Depending on where you work, these Wednesday night evenings are extremely refreshing. Sometimes when we're singing... I just close my eyes and I stop singing and I listen. Uh, it's a little bit more overwhelming on Sunday mornings, but still just as refreshing on a Wednesday evening. And I just listen to you, my brothers and sisters, my family. And I'm like, this is what it's going to be like at the wedding supper of the Lamb. <laughs> it's refreshing, especially with the job that I work. Um, I'm not going to waste a second. I have a lot to share. It's going to be scripture heavy. I'm sure you won't mind that. Um, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for, for this family, for this portion of your bride that, that you've given me the, the privilege and the honor to be a part of. I pray uh, your blessing over every soul here and every family represented by every soul here. And that the greatest blessing that we can have is to know you more, commune with you more. So I pray, Father God, bless us in that way. I pray for all my brothers and sisters who are watching via television or the Internet. I pray that same blessing over them. And I pray that you would just overflow us, Father God, so that it would pour over onto those that are hurting around us. I pray, Father God, open our ears, open my ears, open our hearts. I pray that you would uh, illuminate the eyes of our understanding, even this evening. And I thank you in advance, in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, Brother Bill, I see what you did, man. You're trying to, trying to steal, uh, steal my points of view for this evening. Um, but uh, God really laid it on my heart to... Um, to share something and just biblically speaking, it's a message of preparation. I've noticed, and it's weird, like depending on where you work, um, you get to see where the world is a little bit more, depending on where you work. Um, I work in an area where, this, you know, the population we serve is 30, about 3,200 and um, then when you count in about 400 staff, you know, you're looking at a, close to 4,000 people. It's like running a small city every day. And in that city, I see a lot of brokenness. I see a lot of the things that God's Word promised us that we would see. And one of the things I keep hearing, there's two different things that I keep hearing consistently as of late. And I hear it from people in the secular world who probably have really no understanding of God's Word. And to be honest, we could sit here all day long and we would really not have a a true understanding of this if it were not for the Holy Spirit. Desperately do we need the Holy Spirit so that we can understand. 
But in the secular world and within the body of Christ, I hear a lot of people saying, we're in the last days. We're in the last days. I hear people saying, persecution is coming. Persecution is coming. And I know that for those of us who have gone to Africa and gone to other nations, you've seen that the bride of Christ has been under attack and suffering persecution for many, many years. And I'll start with a a simple story um, from my pastor back in North Carolina, Pastor Emery Goodman. Um, We linked up with the Underground House Church in China um, through a gentleman named Charlie Milbro. I don't know if you guys know him at all. And um, my pastor would go over for meetings with him. um, And they took him. And they would take him and they'd put a bag over his head and they'd take him in a van with, you know, blacked out windows and they took him deep into the woods, into the, to the forest and then they'd take the bag off and they'd walk him down and he'd walk down into for a good two miles, three miles they were walking. Then they'd get to a cave. He got to the cave and he walked in and when he got in, he didn't hear a sound as they approached the cave. When he got in, there were about 300 brothers and sisters in Christ, children of God, not making a sound, but their hands were up and tears flowing down their faces as they just praised Jesus under intense persecution. And when they took him back to the airport, he said something to the the Chinese pastor. He said, "Uh, I know this persecution is rough on you. He said, I'm going to pray that there would be an easing of the persecution. And the Chinese pastor said, why? Please don't do that. And that's, that's mind-boggling to us here in the Western church, here in the church in America. He said, please don't do that. He said, it is that persecution that presses us even more into the embrace of Jesus Christ. He said, and if, 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 if we turn the tables, I'm going to pray that you guys know some persecution so that you press into Jesus a little bit more. And I'm going to share this with you. I know that's weird to hear because we don't want that. And I'm sure if you ask the individuals who are suffering persecution, no, I don't want it, but I can praise Him even more in the midst of this persecution. And I don't know if you're familiar with The Martyr's Oath. Um, It's a book that that I got, I think it was for a birthday or something. I'm getting old, so I don't remember when I got it. But uh, when I read it, it rocked me to my core and really shook me you know and I have to I had to step back and do some real self-analysis if persecution came to my door would I truly stand firm that's that's not playing games that's really asking the question would I and I read this portion and it just wrecked me and I was blown away it says we may see the simple sacrificial faith of those who are persecuted as peculiar because we have become so accustomed to our religious maneuvering that we do not even realize how far we've drifted from the purity and the simplicity of living for Jesus. Could it be that we are simply using Jesus as a means to assuage our consciences as we live for ourselves? We self-medicate on religion so we don't feel quite so bad about our total self-centeredness our unabashed obsession with ourselves, our things, our future, and our lives. 
We look with such peculiarity at the willingness of our brothers and sisters to die for Christ. And they look at us in the same way. They are totally confused that our faith cost us almost nothing. Maybe 10% of our income and the occasional remark at work. I was like, man, we've got to do some self-analysis. As I listened to everyone, and Brother Bill really hit on it, you can, you can sense it. There is a palpable, tangible fear that is permeating. There's uncertainty and people are concerned and wringing their hands. But tonight I pray that I'm able to bring you a message of hope, a message of preparation. Um, yeah, so in this message, first thing I really want to take a look at is what should we expect? If you will, turn with me to Matthew 24, verses 4 through 14. It's a little bit of reading, so I'm going to read if you'll follow along with me. Matthew 24, 4 through 14. It says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. I'm going to, if I can, stop for just a second there. I always read that it as, there's going to be a whole bunch of people that are saying that they are Jesus. Don't be deceived by them. But I think the deception is so thick. And you know, God's Word says that deception would be so thick that if those days were not shortened, even the elect, even the elect would be deceived. And I, I, I think we've come to a, a day and age in which it's not just someone coming up and saying, hey, I'm Jesus Christ. But they're saying, yeah, Jesus, He's the Christ. But I use that statement to fool those who are truly seeking God. But I, if I just say, hey, yeah, sure, Jesus is the Christ, but I'm then going to give another gospel. And God's Word says to stay, steer clear of that. Okay, just, just in a way of seeing this particular Scripture. It says, um, and will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars for centuries now. We've had wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. That's a cornerstone for this. This message is, see that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. Been happening for centuries. And kingdom against kingdom. Been happening for centuries. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginnings of sorrows. And I, once again, if, you on, if we only have an, Ameri- an, an Amerocentric viewpoint of the world, meaning my viewpoint is generally shaped by, and I really don't go to the periphery of anywhere other than America, you're like, oh man, famine's, famine's been coming. Millions upon millions of people for decades, if not centuries, have faced famine. Pestilence has come to our doorstep wearing the mask of COVID-19. It's here. But Jesus said this is the beginning of sorrows. The beginning. But once again, let me go back. See that you are not troubled. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. 
Why did He say we would be hated? For His name's sake. And, and, and you see it. And I see it in my work. I see it in the world around me. You can praise anybody you want. But you begin to speak of Jesus. And the atmosphere changes. Because that is the name that has power. Bottom line. That is why you will be hated. Because that name, just like we, we sang, there's freedom. There's freedom in that name. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. As a heads up, this gospel of the kingdom is going light speed. And I love what God has laid on pastor's heart. We've got to reach more. We've got to get His Word into many more nations. And we have the means to do it. By YouTube alone, billions are being reached. Exceeding the hundred millions mark, billions are being reached. So His Word is reaching the entire world. Okay? I'm gonna, I didn't put it in the... Um, Please don't be angry with me. I didn't put it in the, the slides, but I want to um, read this, read verse 15 so I can point back to it a little bit later. It says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and it gives advice going on. But the abomination of desolation, that's where the individual who will be the Antichrist, um, possessed by Satan, you know, the beast that rises up out of the pit, will declare himself God. Um, And I don't know if you you know what, um, I forgot the term, but it basically means a foreshadowing. There have been multiple times where this has happened where a, a pig was sacrificed in God's temple. And, you know, the Jews were up in arms over it. But these were foreshadowings of what is to come. Now, that all that sounds super scary. It does. And I'm going to be honest with you. I have two small kids. I'm pretty sure you've seen my two little curly-headed kids running around. Emmanuel and Salem. There is a desperate desire in my heart for them to know the, the world I knew, the America I knew. I could be gone for the entire day, jump on my bike with my buddies. We're 11, 12, 13 miles away all day long and just know we better have our butts home before the streetlights come on. That's not the world we live in now. My kids ride the bike on our block and literally, I don't even, it's not the whole block. I'm sitting out there with my lawn chair and I'm like, all right, you went too far. Come on back, turn around. Let's go back to this end. Still get to ride their bikes, still get to know a modicum of freedom. 
but it's not the way it was when we, when we were growing up. And I, I yearn for that. I want them to know that. But I also trust God's Word. And God's Word portrays the progression of the world. Check out uh, 2 Timothy 3, chapter, I mean, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 with me. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. For of this sort, I'm sorry, having a form of godliness but denying its power. The crazy part about this is that Timothy was writing to the church. (laughs) It's easy for us and we look around and we say, man, the world's crazy. Everything that I read here is, is happening. But Timothy was writing saying, as you get the scripture, put on that full armor of God that you make sure that this is not in your house of worship. This is not within the body of believers that God has called you to serve in. But as we're, as we're watching this, this is a promise from God. Of, this is how the world is going to progress. If you ask yourself and you look around you, do you see these things that were just described? Sure. But I'm going to go back. See that you are not troubled. A message of preparation. A message of hope. Check out 2 Timothy 3.13 with me. Slide down a couple of verses. It says, But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's almost, this is, this is a promise, not almost. If you're reading it from God's Word, this is what you can count on. But I'm going to dive into the next part. So that's a, what should we expect, you know? Um, do I believe? I firmly believe. And I've spoken with Pastor about it a couple of times. I walk the halls of where I work. And I firmly believe, just like Pastor Roy said, he can do above and beyond all that we could ever ask him, all that we could ever think, or all that we could ever imagine. And I firmly believe that he could save every single soul that I work with or I serve where I work. I firmly believe that. And I believe that this, this nation would be totally healed if everyone in one day came to Jesus Christ. It would be turned around in a moment. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say this to you. We would have a flying car. I'm a little let down. We're in 2021 and we're still rolling on rubber. I watched the Jetsons. I cut my teeth on the Jetsons as a kid. I believe that we should have a, a fully functioning flying car and system to support it. If, we, if, if everyone got saved and, and we've truly sought to please God, serve God, I know that he would drop in and give that, that intellect and, and how to manipulate the elements that he created by his mere words and say, hey, here, here's a flying car. It could happen. I believe that. And I'm going to show you something I hope that you'll see as I share it with you in the what should we do. Now that we're seeing what should we expect, we should expect the things that that I have read. I did not say accept. 
Because if we accepted them, we would be those people with fear and we wring our hands and we're concerned and, oh, do you see what's happening? Oh, what's going on? What's going to do? If we accept it, it's happening and we can expect it to happen. But there's something that God calls us to do in the, in the face of persecution that I hope will be an encouragement to you. Check out um, in the next section, what should we do in light of the fact that persecution is coming or is here? And in the fact that there is tribulation, there is turmoil, there is trouble. Check out Psalm 27.1 with me. That is the third, fourth tab. Psalms 27.1 reads, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Brother Bill, you remember what you were saying? A lot of fear going on? The Lord is my light and some my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? First, we, we must truly and intimately get to know God. Get to know His promises. In the face of persecution and uncertainty. If we know our God, going back to scriptures I've shared before, we will do great exploits. If we know His promises, the more we know Him and the one who makes those promises, we're able to embrace Him, embrace those promises. And in the face of all turmoil and all fear, we don't have to fear. Check out Isaiah 41.13 with me. Isaiah 41.13 says, For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. The more we know Him, the more we know His promises, in the face of fear, I can choose to say, This isn't easy. This is dark and this is scary, but I know whose I am. I know what you promised me. You promised me you would help me. I'm crying out to you, please help me. And He will not turn you away. If we know our God and we know His promises. So we should expect things to be crazy. No fear. We should know our God and know His promises. Check out 1 Peter 5, 7 with me. I know it feels like a... Um, we're rushing through it. We're not. Hopefully we're digesting these. Five, six. First Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. The more we know Him, the more we, promise, uh, we know His promises, we can truly come to the place at which we do this. We cast our cares upon Him. Because His perfect love casts out that fear we've been talking about. Brother Bill was talking about. His perfect love casts out that fear. And His nail-pierced hands are the receptacles. That, that's where we are to, um, to place all the anxieties and the cares of this world. It makes me so sad. I watch it. These kids are taking insane amounts of mind-altering drugs. And when I grow up, I'm going to be a child psychologist, you know. So I won't be a psychiatrist. The difference between the two is that a psychiatrist recommends a, a drug regimen. 
I will keep some of those on retainer because I do believe that God has given us science and, and there may be a place for that, but it's going to be a last effort because I firmly believe that, number one, you get Christ into a family and He will change. He can, he can turn the entire family around. But I'm watching. These kids are... The anxiety is insane. I have to answer room calls where a kid is balled up in the corner screaming and pulling at their hair. My heart breaks. You know, I'm gentle with them. Hey, I need you to come on. But they cannot come to grips with just being in the world. But this is the answer. To know God. To know His promises. To lean on those promises. Does it make sense to you? And turn to Jeremiah 29. Everybody loves Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm going to be honest. I love the verses around it. Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's not 29, 11. I want to focus on verses 5 through 7. Once again, let's give context. A lot of times we just take a scripture and we run with it. Good, great. Can still, it's still extremely powerful and still will move mountains. But when we understand context, I think it helps us really grasp the point that God is giving. For instance, Jeremiah 29, we all focus on the verse that says, um, I know the... Boom, 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 boom. Jeremiah, God was using Jeremiah to speak to the nation of Israel, to those who had gone into captivity. They lost everything that they knew and were forced to go into captivity. Check out what God said to the people of Israel through Jeremiah when they were in captivity. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. Get this. And they're in the midst of what? Captivity. This isn't a mountaintop message being given. This is being given to a people whose whole world has been rocked. Snatched from their land and taken into captivity. And he's saying to them, build houses, plant vineyards. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away. Captive. And pray to the Lord for it. For it is in peace you will have peace. Do you think it was difficult for them to be in a heathenistic nation that did not acknowledge nor honor the God that their whole existence was built on? Do you think it was difficult for them? Sure it was. It was insanely difficult for them. But God told them to live your life. Live your life. And pray for the peace of that city. So in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of persecution, the message I take away from this is, do not embrace the fear. Do not accept what's going on. Expect it. But do not accept it. Pray for the peace. I pray for the peace of my work atmosphere. It's not always peaceful. And I have to look very hard some days to find it. But he always shows me some modicum of where he's answered that prayer. And gives me an opportunity, pointing back to the last time I was given the 
opportunity to speak, given me an opportunity for some purposeful praise, to praise Him. And that's fertile ground for His miracles to take place. That's fertile ground for lives to be changed. For a kid who just cussed me out to be weeping with me a moment later because I told him I cared about him and he can be free. Fertile ground. So build, when it says build homes and, and, and plant vineyards, that means carry out the plans that God has placed in your heart. No matter what the world around you looks like, carry out the plans that He's, he's placed in your heart and pray for the peace of the area in which He has set you. All right? What should we do in the face of persecution or tribulation? All right? Um, and then I, always, I think, if, as long as Pastor and you all give me the opportunity to, to share, I think you'll always see that a cornerstone of what God has really laid in my heart is the fact that it's never truly about us. It's about His kingdom, His name. So look at Jude 1, 20 through 23 with me. Man, what tab am I on? Oh, eight. <laughs> All right. Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter. That'll make it easy. Verses 20 through 23. It says, But you, beloved, building up on your most holy faith, the cornerstone of this whole deal is going to be your faith. That is what is under attack. When you feel like, oh man, messing up my 401k and rock. What's really under attack is your faith. So build up on that most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Pastor is urgently trying to really get us to grasp it. He throws it in like every other Sunday. My, everything changed for me when I began to pray in the, the Spirit about an hour a day. I'm hearing him and I'm working up to it. But we want to keep grounded on that faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's the cornerstone. That's the key. That's how we bring honor and praise to His name. And it's difficult to operate in love if we're not if if we're if we're in our flesh it's difficult but if we are standing firm on that faith praying in the holy spirit it's easy because that holy spirit keeps us in that love that is going to bring honor to god's name does that make sense to you in tying it all together looking for the mercy of our lord jesus christ unto eternal life and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. It goes back to a um, statement that I can't remember his name, guy from the 1800s. He said, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell, but I want to run a mission house within a yard of hell. As things unravel, as things get more difficult, as things look more and more like the scriptures I read to you when we were talking about what you can expect, there will be a desperation for something solid. 
a desperation for something real. And I tell you, there is nothing more real, nothing more solid than Jesus the Christ and what He did for us on the cross. So, as things get hectic, we are going to know God, know His promises. Build homes, plant vineyards, marry, let our kids get married, and pray for the peace of the city we're in, and then be a light, stand on that faith, pray in the Holy Spirit, and show others Jesus Christ. That's what we should do in the face of persecution. Does it make sense? I didn't want to lose anyone. Alright, so this next section I pray will really help. I pray that it will spur us to truly study God's Word. Gain some deep understanding. What I want to talk about now is future implications. I have 15 minutes. I'm going to do my absolute best. If you'll take a look, turn with me to Revelation 11.4. Now this particular portion of the revelation that God gave John deals with the end times. Overall, that's what revelation has to deal with. And this particular portion deals with the two witnesses. And there is much debate as to who the two witnesses will be. Some assert that it will be um, Elijah and Enoch because they never died that first physical first death. Some assert that it would be um, Moses and Elijah. I don't know about the scriptural, the scriptural um, context or underpinning for that. I don't know. I haven't seen it anywhere. But I do believe that God's Word gives us some insight into who the two witnesses will be. And you'll have to come back next week to find out who they're going to be. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Um, read, let's read 11, Revelation 11.4 with me, if you will, please. It says, here, here's the key. I, 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 I didn't put it in there, but I'll read the verse before just to give context. Verse... Um, yeah, verse 3 says, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. When you hear of sackcloth, sackcloth refers to, and granted, they actually wore sackcloth to abase themselves in ashes. They would throw ashes over their heads and wailing and roll around in, in ashes. But in general... Throughout God's Word, sackcloth refers to a heart of repentance. Just like Pastor Larry spoke of, a contrite heart. It is a lifestyle of walking in, making sure that there's nothing that is a hindrance. There's no veil between me and God because of any sin or, or thing that I would cling to, any idol in my life. I, I live a, a life of repentance, a repented Life, if that makes any sense to you. And then the Bible says this. Verse 4 says, These are, referring to the two witnesses, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. 
And I'll read the next one because I'll refer to it in a minute. It says, uh, And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. If you do um, some research in God's Word, olive trees, and, and if you find it, come correct me, please. Because this isn't about, I got it in raw. It's, it's about us as a body of Christ seeking God's Word, learning more of Him so that we can rightfully bring His name glory and praise. But olive trees generally refer to the nation of Israel first. And look at Jeremiah eleven thirteen through 18 with me. That's 9, so 10. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 16 says, and oh, I'm sorry, let me give you the, the context. This is God speaking through Jeremiah when Israel broke the covenant. When Israel went whoring after other gods and began to listen to those false prophets who had snuck in. Verse 11.16 says, The Lord called your name green olive tree, lovely and of good fruit. With the noise of a great tumult, He has kindled fire on it and its branches are broken. This is that first olive tree. This is, this is that first olive tree, the nation of Israel, is the nation through which the God who created everything by, one, by His Word chose to make Himself known to the creation He created. That's that, that's that olive tree. That's the nation of Israel. But take a look at Romans chapter eleven thirteen with me. 10, 11. Where's 11? There it is. Romans chapter 11, verses 13 through 18. That's one. Or chapter 12. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh. That's Paul, who was a Jew among Jews, and he's saying, and his ministry was to the Gentiles. Overall, generally speaking, he says, I magnify it so that it might cause them to be jealous. And say, hey, we messed up. Jesus is the answer. When he says, those who are my flesh, and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree... So you've got the Israelites, then you've got those Gentiles being referred to as a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches. That means we as Gentiles, you don't speak against those Hebrews, those Jews who, who didn't do right. And there was a reason they didn't do right. It was unbelief. But don't boast against them. 
But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. And then I'm going to go ahead and read through because for time's sake, Romans 11, 20 through 23. Um, 20 says, well said, because I'm sorry, you will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail severity, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will be cut off. And they also, that's referring to those Jews who walked in unbelief, did not embrace Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. These olive trees are not referring to one particular individual. They're referring to people who truly have that firm belief in Jesus as the Messiah. So that's the olive trees. And then the question becomes, well, what are the lampstands? Take a look at uh, Revelation one twenty with me real quick. Revelation 1, verse 20, says, The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven gold lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Now, so many sermons have been done, and I'm going to leave it to you because I know we will study the seven churches. What Jesus had to say, because Jesus was the one standing amidst the seven lampstands. Of those seven churches, only two did Jesus not say to them, but I have this against you. Those two were the church of Smyrna, um, which was the persecuted church, and then the church of Philadelphia, which was the faithful church. Those were the only two lampstands that did not receive a rebuke from Jesus Christ. And Revelation chapter 11 says that the two witnesses will be the two olive trees and the two lampstands. I don't get into the whole, I I have a firm belief that God is going to rapture his church from this earth. But I think that, and it could have been me, I could have been wrong, but growing up where I grew up and in the church I grew up in, I felt like there was this understanding or belief that we really wouldn't see any real tribulation. We wouldn't see anything crazy and God was just going to snatch us up. I do not believe, I firmly believe that God does not have the great tribulation for his bride. I believe that before those bowls of judgment are poured out, we will be taken. But this presents, and I want you to study it. I want us to study it. Dive deep into what this is saying because we are consistently saying that we, we don't believe or it's hard for the world to see and we firmly believe that we can do the things that we've seen um, the prophets do in the Old Testament. We firmly believe that Sorry, give me a second. Uh, 
Jesus promised that the things that you saw him do, that we would do greater because he goes to the Father. But Pastor has consistently pointed out that those prophets and the people like Elijah, the people like Elisha, when we see the things that they did, they were people like us. But they had a hunger and a yearning to be with God, to hear from God, and then be obedient to what they heard from Him. The implications of this are extremely deep. If you continue reading in Revelation chapter 11 as to what the two witnesses do, if we see those things and we only want to build our own kingdom, or we just want enough religion to make us comfortable, when we see people begin to do the things mentioned, it would be easy for us to latch on to the world and those people are evil. Why would they shut up the clouds and not cause any rain or turn, turn our rivers into blood? It would be easy to say, hey, those people are evil and we would latch ourselves on to, those, to the world when the world will be celebrating and sending gifts to one another because their bodies lay in the street without burial. But I don't want to leave us on that note. Everybody turn to uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 15. Remember, this is a message of hope. I hope that that particular piece will just cause us to study a little bit more because I feel like God's Word says these two witnesses are the two olive trees and the two lampstands for a reason. And it has implications. And let me say this, I'm sorry. It has implications for how we seek God more hungrily because it may be us sitting in here if not us, are there messages that are going to be sent out there via the, the opportunities that God is opening up for the Ark Fellowship? That someone latches on to a, a message if we are taken before any of this happens? How do I guide my Emmanuel and my Selah in studying God's Word to prepare them? There are implications here. But we're going to end on a very happy note. Everybody turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. I want us to know and leave with the understanding that our hope is secure. Our hope is secure. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 5. I appreciate you guys for bearing with me. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into His grace, in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. So we're going back. What should we expect? God's Word told us what we can expect, and we're seeing it around us. What should we do? Closing out here in what we should do, we should glory in tribulations. The more we know Him and the more we know His promises, the more we will truly be able to do that. It would be something feigned and of our flesh if we don't know Him and we don't know His, pre his promises. We glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. 
that, that continuing in the face of trial and tribulation. And that perseverance produces character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We can have that solid hope in the face of what we see around us. And I'm going to end with my favorite verse out of the entire Bible. John 16:33 says, In this world, this is Jesus giving us a promise. In this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank You. We thank You for Your promises. I pray for every soul here, Father God, that You would help us by Your Holy Spirit. Help us to know You more. Create in us, burn in us a hunger for Your Word that we might know Your promises. That even if the Bible was stripped from our hands, it is written on our hearts. And we would speak it because it wells up in us. Help us to speak it even now to those who are hurting around us. We have the words of life. Let us not shut it up inside of us. Let us share it with those who are broken, burdened down with anxiety and the fear that this world is producing and, 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 and moving around them. Help us to bring Your name glory that others might be brought to Your table. You're so good to us. We praise You. You are worthy to be praised. We praise You. We thank You. Have Your way in us. I thank You for the hedge of protection You've placed around us, around our families. We thank You for it. But Father God, no matter what comes, we will trust You. We will cling to Your promises. Keep us close to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. I love you guys.